We are live. Okay, uh, today's guest is Gina Cioli and Bobby. Dang it, Bobby, what's your last name? Abuzed. Abuzed. This yes. is Texas Laparoscopic Consultants in Houston, Texas. And the thing I want to I want to intro this with a couple of things because this topic, uh, this session is going to be called "Removing Bariatric Barriers." And there's a few things that I made a list of here. You know, we all like to shop on Amazon now because they have the one-click purchase. It's so simple. Uh, we love to buy Apple products because when you take them out of the box, they work without any instructions. Uh, you know, Warren Buffett is one of the most successful investors in the world because he makes it easy for the companies he invests in. And you think about other businesses that make things easy versus the bariatric world. And most bariatric clinics seem to be putting up every possible barrier for a patient. I'm, I'm shocked that patients arrive at all. And the ones that do arrive to some clinics seem to be just, you know, they would have gone through anything and they did go through anything because lots of clinics put up barriers of, have you watched our pre-recorded webinar that's on this hidden page on our website? Uh, have you jumped through other hoops? Have you uh, completed our paperwork? So we'll send you the link, print the 50 pages, uh, then upload it and scan it back to us. So there's all these hoops that they're putting up. And uh, we've been working with TLC for a good while now. And the thing that we notice about them is they put a lot of time and effort into removing all the barriers to get people in the door. They're one of the best at it that we've ever seen. So a few questions, and I'm glad you're both here because, uh, well, let's start with this. Gina, I want you to give the quick story of your, your journey through growing up in the bariatric business real quick. Oh, wow. We only have 20 minutes, Matt. <laughs> Thank you for inviting us. Um, story where we, where I started. So I was 20, maybe three, 23 working for Memorial Hermann hospital, which is one of the largest hospital systems here in Houston. And I was an interim bariatric coordinator, did that for about four months and then moved over to the university setting as the manager to manage UT's practice. And one day, Dr. Scarborough and Dr. Yu stood behind me, and they're like, what do you think about private practice? And I was like, I don't think anything. I'm not doing much here, so let's go. I was, I think, 26 at that time, so I was like, okay, I don't have anything to lose. So everyone was like, you're going to fail. The out-of-network business is failing. Everything private practice-wise is going away. Everyone's going to university-based or hospital-based. But I was like, you know what? If I'm going to try something, let's do it right now. So we did. I was actually the first one to leave. I left before Dr. Scarborough and Dr. Yu to start our practice. And um, we started really small. We weren't able to take any of our patients with us. We had nothing but a cell phone and an office that was the size of the closet. And one thing that we learned is if you answer the cell phone, they come. So we were able to move into the office that we're in now about probably four or five months later. I met Bobby. She actually worked upstairs in the OB-GYN office. She was scary as hell. Um, OB-GYN world is completely different than the bariatric world. So she was just used to seeing like hundreds of patients at a time. It didn't matter if they came or if they were going to leave. It didn't matter if you satisfied them. So I just was like, I never want to work with this woman. We had a meeting at dinner and she was a billing monster and I heard all kinds of wonderful things about her, but she had a completely different mentality than I did when it came to customer service. Um, six months rolled around again and somehow she came back into my world and we 
Dr. Scarbo and I actually interviewed her because we wanted to bring our billing in house. And I knew that I had to stop doing it on my own because I wasn't going to bed till like two o'clock in the morning trying to figure everything out. So I needed Bobby and Bobby was like, you know what? I'm going to give you a try. Let's give, you know, we'll give each other a try. And it's been a marriage made in heaven. And here we are like, what, 10 years later, 11 years later, I don't know. Yeah, longer than most marriages. <laughs> <laughs> longer than most marriages. And honestly, the way that we started out, which was the best thing for us because our office was under construction again, is we were stuck in the same room that we're sitting in right now for nine months together, sitting basically like this mm -hmm. across from each other learning everything that we possibly could about every single patient and figuring out how we wanted to structure this practice for the long haul. And the number one thing throughout all, all of that that we found is one, we're not scared to change something and try something new. And I guess the number one key to everything is if you don't answer the phone, you don't know what the problem is. Tell me, you know, you guys have been at it 10 years and I'll ask some questions. Feel free to say that's not 13, your... Maddie. 13. 13. Okay. If you I'm... count our university years, it's actually 16. Okay. <laughs> so of course, I don't want you to share anything. You don't want another bariatric practice to know, but take me through, you, you guys went from zero practice, zero patients coming in 10 years ago to roughly how many patients, how many bariatric surgeries per year now? Actual bariatric surgeries were probably this year going to hit i'm looking at my board that's why i'm saying that right now we'll probably hit close to a thousand yep yeah and i've for everyone who's either watching or listening i've set where i'm looking i've sat in bobby's chair and looked at gina's board and gina relentlessly tracks a few sales metrics and it's one of the few clinics that really see the bariatric patient process as a sales funnel so going from zero patients to a thousand patients what are the barriers that because I know the barriers are different when you're doing a hundred cases to a thousand cases. So over the, over the years, what are the barriers that you guys have seen? Hey, we have a, uh, we have a, uh, what's the word? There's a log jam here. We've got to remove it. What, what are those big log jams that you've had to say, we got to, we got to make this easier for the patient to get them in here. So what I have to say is I've had the unique opportunity to travel around this country and visit multiple practices and kind of piece together what I've liked about different practices and what I've not liked about different practices and bring them into my practice. What I'd say is the number one thing I've seen, and I've, I've struggled with this as well, and specifically when it comes to the phone, is that practices need to be willing to invest in themselves in multiple different ways, not even just with marketing, with staff. You need to understand and need to be able to see when your staff is overwhelmed, when there's more than they physically can handle, and what's being left behind. So you have to be willing to hire the appropriate staff when needed. And you sometimes need to be able to get ahead of that, not wait till it's too late. So if you see that your pipeline is already starting to grow, that the phone calls are increasing, it means that there's going to be more verification, more pre-certification, there's going to be more, and you need to make sure that you're not depending on just one or two people to take care of that, and that you have it appropriately organized so that that patient is being taken care of during every part of the process. How do you, in that office, how do you get a sense? Because a lot of people, when they start, when they start work, no matter what position, no matter how much is on their plate, you know, some people just say, I've got too much to do, I don't want anymore. How do you know when a position is truly overwhelmed and it's time to hire additional staff? So for me, 
I can usually tell when I start getting a few complaints from that specific area of expertise. And I take it very seriously. If I get one complaint, I'm usually trying to go and follow through. Now, I have the luxury of when I think that there's something that's being missed, what I do sometimes is I will put that person's emails on my email list so I can see that all of their emails are getting addressed. I can also see if they're overwhelmed in their orders. So Bobby and I will go through when we think that there is a department that's overwhelmed or if it's, there's two things, it's a department that's overwhelmed or it's an employee that's not working efficiently. So you have to be able to tell the difference in the two. So we'll go and actually try to take time out of our day and sit in that role for a little while. We'll take a couple of days, we'll sit in that role and see, do we need to readjust the way that the workflow is coming in or out, or do we really need to hire another employee to help because it's overwhelmed? Mm. So you have to be willing to go and sit in that role and assess it for yourself before you can make those decisions. Yes. Definitely that works out really well for us as sitting in that person's position for a day or two days to see exactly what they're doing and help them time management time also at the same time. And it helps with the employee satisfaction as well to yes. know that you're willing to do the work that they're doing, that you've done it before and that you understand what's going on. You're willing to really see what the problems are. Because sometimes you do create a structure that is more work than you anticipated. Yeah, we've been in some bariatric clinics where the management staff is at the end of the building or across the hall, you guys office right there in the middle of everybody. You're hearing all the conversations. And I think, wasn't it a couple months ago, your staff was out for the day doing something and you guys took over answering the phones for the day, right? Yes, we did. It's been a weird year. So between COVID and the demonstrations, we did allow, we cut out, we let our staff take a half day if they wanted to be involved in um, a big demonstration that was going on here. And Bobby and I decided to take the phones and we took them for three hours in the afternoon and thought we were going to die. So after that day, it was actually a really good learning experience. We hired more people for the phone room <laughs> and we added another new patient specialist. So now we have two full-time employees who focus solely on our new patient, um, new patient consults that are coming in. Yeah. Yeah. So two full-time people whose job it is to only job is get people into a consult to get new patients into a console. Yep. yep. Uh, I have two other good topics, but how much time do you have left, Gina? I have, you have 12 more minutes. Oh, that's more time than I need. So you mentioned the phone room. Can you tell us more about that? I've heard other practices fiddle with the idea or maybe give it a half hard effort. The, the standard is the phone rings up front. If they don't answer it, it'll ring to somebody else. And then we don't really know who gets it. How have you I lived off of that? That was my approach to the phones for 12 years. And January, actually it started in November of last year. I was done with that structure because I even put in a phone tree that it would go to an automatic system where they could then type in where they wanted to go and it would go directly to that. And I just decided after 12 years that that was a nightmare system. It wasn't working. It wasn't efficient. And I completely restructured my office and brought in a general contractor so that I could build a phone room. I kicked actually Dr. Scarborough out of his office and made them all office, all the doctor's office together because I needed the phone room next to me. So I built a whole room around um, the phones. I have three people who, actually we have a total of five people now because it's become that important. But at that time I had three people who were in, so their sole purpose in life is to answer the phones. And it has been a game changer towards patient satisfaction, 
as well as just seeing the number of consults that are being booked. And this may be a good question for Bobby too, but talking about removing barriers, you guys were seeing in your marketing and in the feedback, the vast majority of people who don't come in, they don't come in because they're concerned about finances. And you launched this whole campaign and kind of had this, this, uh, this war cry of no insurance, no problem. And ha ha what have you seen from that? That's interesting because if you would have asked me that question a couple of weeks ago, I would have answered differently. <laughs> so in saying that, the no, I'm going to take this one because we learned from this because we, we did launch the No Insurance, No Problem. Still love that campaign, still running with it. Um, what we have found with that campaign, and people are getting a little tidbit into some marketing knowledge that we learned here, is um, money is not, money is the people's number one barrier. They aren't necessarily shopping around for the lowest price. They just want to know that they're getting an efficient price and a good, I mean, an effective price and a good surgeon. Um, the no insurance, no problem has allowed us to open up the idea that people can actually get financing for this. And I don't think a lot of people have actually even thought in that type of capacity that this is something I could finance. This is something that's probably more important than if I get a car. So it allows them to have that different thought process. So when we originally took this approach, we had listed the price on our website of all the procedures with this no insurance, no problem. You click on that and it would go to all of our procedures and the roundabout pricing of where it would be. So actually I'm wrong. We had a range. We, no, no, I'm wrong. First we launched it without the pricing and we launched it with a monthly fee. Then we decided we wanted to take one step further, which we had learned from a group that you're with, um, Panhandle. They listed all their prices and we really liked that and we thought it would be really helpful for patients. So we went and we did something very similar and we saw an instant drop in our self-pay new patient consults. So because the actual pricing wasn't on there and we did it for two months because I wanted to give it more than just a month because I thought maybe it was a weird COVID situation, maybe something, you know, spaz people out. But so saw a drop months, in self-pay. We saw a drop in self-pay yeah. patients. They weren't even giving us the opportunity to sell them. They weren't calling because their answer was already there and it was overwhelming to them. So they wouldn't even call. So we went back and we put the monthly price on and we actually pulled the price off of our website and our calls are back. That's a great example. Oh my gosh. Where, where in the process of them coming in, when do they get presented the financing option? In the phone call, right on that very first phone call. First phone call. Okay. But they weren't even picking up the phone to give us the opportunity to talk to them about that. They need to be able to meet Samreen. They need to be able to meet Bobby or Shifa on the phone. They need to get that warm feeling that right. you really care about them. And they weren't getting that off of a number on a screen. Because you'll have patients call in and say, how much is a procedure? And let's say you say $15,000. Sorry about that. Is that me going to paint my chin? Yes. So that's, and they just get a price. And then as soon as you give them the price, they want to either hang up the phone or just move on. It scares them. Yep. So I always talk to them and say, what procedure are you looking for? How much do you weigh? What are you trying to accomplish? And the whole thing about the one thing that I love that Gina had said is, you know, we invest so much money in a car. We all buy new cars, 15, 20, $30,000 cars. Why not invest that in your body? And you're done with that after yeah. five to seven years and you've moved on. So you get that person hyped up on what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. And then it even works out better because I've had a sleeve. So I always try to get on that same basis as them. Oh, I've had a sleeve. I had it seven years ago. I lost a hundred pounds. Best thing I've ever done. Best investment. I had, a, I had to take lending out. Best investment ever. Did you know you can have lending from that? Lending can be as low as $250 a month. You start going that direction. How much money do you have? Well, I only have $10,000. Well, 
that's great. That's a great start. Let's do, you can get lending for like a hundred dollars a month and have it paid off and start going around it and then give the number out. So the number, you know, the final cost, usually the cost is around, you know, you know, 15, whatever they say, 15,000. And, you know, includes all this one year post-op visits are going to be you know, completely changed. Isn't that wonderful? And you kind of just go with the positives on it. And yep. you'd be surprised at how many people from that shock, that sticker shock, saying that straight off the, you know, you know, phone conversation to where, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? It's worth it. It's worth it kind of thing. Yep. Usually get those every time if we can get a conversation in that long, that person will make an appointment. What in turn thing on? Let's just make your first appointment. Yep. Let's just try to see if it's what you want to do. And then, you know, they'll say, I'm scared or this or that. Say, just make the appointment. Just see the doctor. See if it's the direction you want to go today or six months from now or a year from now. Yep. Okay. So what's the next, what's the next big thing? What's the next big barrier to improve or get rid of or make it easier? What are you guys working on? Right now, what are we working on? Well, I mean, you get a lot of pushback when patients don't understand and uh, that don't have bariatric benefits, but that still goes back to the Are you talking about like towards self-paying and conversions or just as a whole as a practice? Just as a whole to get, to make it smoother for the patient, make it easier, anything To be else. sure they qual to qualifying in is a lot of times a, a barrier. Do they qualify? Are they high enough BMI? Do they have the comorbidities? That type of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if we have some, somebody that's on the borderline of that, we go ahead and move them, start moving them through the process. If we see they're not going to qualify in, then we start doing cash pay uh, pricing combos, you know, and start talking to them about that. Compare that, how much it would have cost them with the insurance. And that's there's not much of a difference with the insurance or without the insurance sometimes. It just yeah. depends. So right now, I think the big thing that we're facing towards trying to figure out how to transition and handle it appropriately is we have our insurance patients and our self-pay patients. So I think the next big change that we're going to make here is that we may have, while we have someone who handles the new patient consults in for all this, um, for all of them, we may even create, so we have a whole nother navigator role, which we can, I guess, get into in another com consult, but we may even create a whole navigator role just around our self-pay patients to be their person, to get them from the time that they have the new patient consult to the time that they have surgery. And that's, I think, the direction we're going in. If you ask me in six months, I may even push it out a little further because right now our revisions are going through the roof and there's such an, another animal that's all cute in itself <laughs> that um, we may have to have a, another person dedicated to just revisions. You made a great point about uh, we don't show the full, the full price because it scares people off. We want to have a chance to explain things to them. This is a big argument amongst clinics. The patient calls in, says, here's my insurance stuff. I want to know if I qualify. Some clinics say, great, we'll go over that information when you come in on the 14th. Some clinics call them back and say, I'm sorry, you don't have coverage. And I forget, I forget which one, which camp you guys fall into, but which one is the right way and why? So what we do, cause we verify a lot of insurance and we, we go back and forth with this. So we originally started when we started with Boost is we were just like, get them into an appointment, get them into an appointment. We'll figure it out after. Well, they were taking up a lot of real estate on your schedule is part of the problem. And you only have so, so many hours in a day. So now we try to get them verified as soon as possible and get them on the schedule. So we kind of do a combination of both. When you're talking to a patient, you can tell that they're, they're impatient. You're going to get them on that schedule. There's usually something we can tell now because we've been doing it for so long to see, we can tell if it's something we're gonna be able to work with. Um, we've had, or we have the opportunity because Bobby and I work on another business on the side of this, that we work with other practices here in Houston. 
And here's what I'm gonna tell you. When I say we do operations for other practices here in Houston, and we've seen this firsthand, you'll have a patient who picks up the phone and calls your practice, and if you don't give them or give them the right feel, they literally hang up and call the next practice. So we're answering phones for other practices, and Bobby has talked to the same patient in a 10 minute span from two different practices multiple <laughs> times. Yes. So, um, so we're learning how to evolve that for everyone that we work with, and patients are shopping around. They're having multiple visits at multiple offices. And honestly, where I am with that, and I guess to sum that up is, you want to be the first person they see because usually when they're not attending or they're not, they're not showing up for your visit, it's because they've already shown up for a visit somewhere else. Absolutely. Yes. And Bobby, you could speak to that. I'm sure all the emotional financial, the conversations happening around bariatrics, the huge, huge decision. Most people go years considering that. And then you finally decide I'm ready and you pick up a phone only to be put on hold or, I mean, when you're ready, you're ready. And definitely. And you have time to think about it. And you have people behind your back saying you don't need to do it. Or, the, you know, the husband's like, no, you're, you shouldn't do that. It, you, you shouldn't do that. As my own husband did for me when I wanted to have mine. He's like, no, you can do it on your own. Well, you get someone who's been trying for so long and, and, you, and you get to talk to them for a few minutes. That's the whole thing about the pricing. We try to hold off to the very end of the call. But I will tell you that we're very honest about patients. We do call them ahead of time to tell them whether they have bariatric benefits or not. We try to get everybody in on that. But when we do make that phone call, it's done by a new patient specialist or somebody who's going to be able to talk to that patient in depth. Like, yes, what we're looking for. People just want to be mindful of mm -hmm. their time as well as you yes. want to be mindful of your own. Right. And, and we do talk to them about cash pay. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to look at? Stuff like that. Yeah. One minute wrap up. Yeah, one, one minute. minute. One, last 60 second question. If you had a, if a small bariatric clinic came to you, they're doing 275 cases, they want to double they're looking at the hundred different options and tactics and things they could do. What is the first thing you would say? What is the most important thing you would say? Do this first and get it down before you move on to anything else. What is that? Answer your phone. Mm -hmm. 100% answer, answer your phone. Don't put them on hold. Answer the phone. Answer the phone. Answer their question and you're going to be okay. I love it. Man. Care about that patient. Thank you, too. We love, as you know, we love sitting with you guys and talking about bariatric. Look market. at Maddie, Dax Shepard of bariatrics. <laughs> <laughs> Armchair expert of bariatrics. So cute. Love it. I don't know about that. But, man, we love working with you guys. And thank you for your time today. And I know you have to go. So I'm going to wrap it up. All right. Bye, Maddie. Bye. Bye.